Uh, I'm your co-host, Peter. I mean, I, I feel like I've really done something here if I was able to throw you on the transition. You're usually just like, you just got it, man. I like, was busy looking in the wiki to see what the hell these uh, these bounty hunters races were called, but I can't. Hazari, that's right. We're getting deep in the season, man. And I am once again reminded at how crazy long old 90s television really used to be that you would have a tv series run in one season 25 episodes yeah because it i mean they end up breaking it up right like they do the fall part and you've got the winter break and then you come back and you, you have your episodes through the spring and then you're done it before summer you know you have the big may sweeps it seems like an artifact of a bygone era but i i certainly remember it it was always a huge deal in in uh uh november because that's when uh, you started to have your like your mid-season break, and then it everything came back in February, and then everything was done by May, and that's I mean you basically had to have episodes for half the fucking year. I gotta say I respect the cast, I respect the crew to be able to go at what had to just be an absolute grind on those sets to churn out episodes at the speeds they do, and looking back on the past couple of years, you and I have put into this the difficulty I have in remembering episodes we we talked about just a week or two ago. Um, I don't blame any of the cast members when they're just like, listen, guys, you know, I that that was not my life. That was just a job. And, you know, I did it and, and I don't have perfect recall on this stuff. Like if we can't remember this stuff with the amount of effort that we're putting in, uh, I, I don't I don't fault anybody who's involved in the production of this for not remembering every blistering detail. I completely agree. It's almost embarrassing to me sometimes how little I remember of our own takes. And those are, are much more recent than these guys having filmed the show. Yeah. And and it's because it always is in the current living memory of the people who just consumed it or repeatedly consume it and not necessarily the person that created it as crazy as that sounds, you know? Mm-hmm. People talk about stuff that we did on podcasts 50 or 60 episodes ago. And I'm like, I've just what? You've been doing this 50 episodes like what? <laughs> We've done 120 episodes now. It's just like, oh, in episode 65, like, I don't even fucking remember what one that was. What did I say that? I don't know. As long as I didn't drop the end bomb, I think we're good. I did want to share a uh, a quote from one of our fans from uh, the Vija Please trauma support group before we got going. And this is about last week's episode. But uh, this is the quality of fan we have. So this is from Soren. And we were reflecting on the uh, David Lynch phase, our episode 120, uh, which was about the fight, the unwanted return of Chakotay's backstory. And he said the following. I recently treated myself to a home viewing of Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Amazon Prime thought I might like it. Perhaps because I once watched Picard <laughs> and when a terrible Native American character wandered in, I was delighted to discover he was none other than Chakotay's grandfather. Needless to say, I immediately reached for my medicine bundle. <laughs> I, you know, I, I spent a fair amount of time thinking about his grandfather, the actor of like, it's got to be rough, man. If you're like, I want to be an actor and this is what I'm going to pursue. And, you know, whether it's a elderly Native American or something else, you get stuck as this very hyper specific 
stereotype and and that's always what you're going to get stuck playing you're not going to see that guy landing a role as some silicon valley influencer or something like that and uh it's got to be a rough plight and uh, i'm not saying this to say that i'm sorry for the hard time we gave him about a shitty performance but i'm i am saying that I recognize that it's uh it's rough to always have to just be that one thing character actor, not because that's what you became famous for, but because that's how you look and that's how you get handled. It's a rough life being typecast in in Hollywood, uh, but it it's not an a uh, it's not one that doesn't go without its paychecks. And speaking of people who cashed paychecks this week, what episode did we watch? Oh, I thought you were going to say Alex Kurtzman who. <laughs> I don't think he's cashing any paycheck. There's, I, I don't want to go deep in the uh, the the national affair of uh, Star Trek and where that's going, but I do want to touch base real quick before we jump into uh, today's episode into Lower Decks, which I've been watching. And I will say it has been steadily increasing in quality. Uh, I still would not put my neck on the line and invite you in to watch it. It's it's annoying. Because if you cut the jokey, cartoony, comedy mainline out, you've got these legit post-TNG era episodes in the background with some with some cool stuff going on. Like this uh, episode I just watched had a generational ship they had discovered that was adrift. And there were two. Basically, they're like Miranda class. Like that's that's what the Cerritos is the the main ship we're following and they're tractor beaming this to a habitable planet that they're going to terraform with it. And this generational ship is like super huge. And it's like vast cap. You're always grounded, whether it's Voyager next gen DS nine, whatever, maybe even enterprise, like the limit of your creativity is rooted in the budget of your show. And sometimes you go big, you do a timeless and you have some really cool, big budget special effects stuff. But a lot of the times you end up with like twisted with crappy Adobe after effects, special effects that are cheap and plentiful and whatever. And there's this promise in animation that you can do whatever you want. Cause it's just a stroke of a pen away before you've drawn this picture and you can explore it. So maybe it'll end up being kind of like Orville where they shove some of the comedy to the side and, and try and get some legit Trek in there. But we're not there just yet. I, I it's a shame that something that has a decent track premise is being wasted in this way. And it sounds like it's playing out exactly the way I said, which is it's not going to be Rick and Morty enough to be genuinely funny because they're not going to want to expose the IP to that level of black comedy. And it's not going to be Trek enough to really be a good watch for Trek fan purposes. And it's going to be stuck in this overmanaged studio black hole of not funny and not engaging. And I, I salute you for continuing to go to the Kurtzman mines, trying to find that, uh, that piece of gold that I will say uh, you're desperate to, to, to locate. I will say wholeheartedly, much better than Picard. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying. Well, that's not movie. hard. Like Picard was actively an affront to human life. Like that, that was a war crime that we watched in real time. So like, <laughs> didn't murder your parents is probably better than Picard. What I'm saying is Picard killed my dad. 
Yeah. He's not really. My dad's alive. What the the man you know is your dad's just a telltale shiar shiar operative. No, no, my the, the man I know is my dad is just a robot that was created <laughs> after he sacrificed himself for what? What? No reason. I mean, just like he, he had a ticking time bomb heart like brain issue, but then it just didn't matter. All right, man. Season five, episode twenty or nineteen, if you're cool and go by Netflix like I do. Think Tank. So this one is notable because of the star power of the guest star, which at the time was the biggest get they could have, which was Jason Alexander, late of Seinfeld, uh, George Costanza. Um, nothing else about this episode is particularly interesting. It is a quality um, example of the tendency of episodes of star trek voyager to not respect the intelligence of the viewer i disagree and i agree i disagree with the fact that uh or or your assessment that it was a unremarkable episode and i wholeheartedly agree that whatever they thought they were doing to be clever and and shamalanian here was a complete miss and this was a very transparent uh, episode and and it brings me back to our our podcast old question of back in 1999 what was this a good twist you know i no 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 i don't think this was meant to be a good twist it was meant to be fed like a a bottle of uh, baby formula to the audience on purpose because they thought they'd get extra eyeballs because Jason Alexander was the guest star. So they wanted to make it as noob friendly as possible. You know, like don't make them think too much. Give them a real simple setup and a real simple uh, story and see if we can retain some of these people that might tune in because somebody they know is on the show. I mean, that's I think not that's a bad strategy, a- right? You know, if, if you're going to marketing that- perspective, I think it's like I get the logic, but it's fucking terrible for this show. This is season five, deep of season five of a show on the UPN. Like who they think is going to fucking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to totally start watching Star Trek Voyager now because George Costanza was on it. Like who in their fucking demo is is that going to attract back to the show? Like if you're trying to get that audience that was watching back in season one, season two, and bring them back, this isn't what they're looking for, right? This Correct. is this isn't like, oh shit, I'd stopped watching Voyager because I thought it was bad, but oh, oh my god, the guy who goes, Jerry is on there now, so clearly it's for me now. Like, no, that's not it. That's not it at all. Like, you if you're they were going for the tactic of we're gonna put a, a big old guest star on there to get people who like star trek and were watching the show to come back to it they should have done something like uh some kind of crossover where other trek figures were on it or like here's you know captain picard or or something like that you know like that would have been the way to do that this is this is getting nobody that's sticking around i get the logic though because fucking studio executives are stupid and so they would have thought that would have worked Here's what I liked in this episode, and and this is going to be a little skip to the end. And and here's something I will give later seasons, you know, four, five, six, maybe hopefully seven. But uh, ever since we got out of the 
dried meat is stuck in my hair region of the Delta <laughs> quadrant, like the, the shithead regions. Yeah, many sectors overwhelmed by the shithead menace. Yeah, it was a dark time. And for those of you who have not listened to our earlier seasons, there was a notorious thread uh, we felt in season one and season two where just all these people had some sort of crusty bird nest grown in their hair, and that's that was their kooky alien thing. I mean, the Kazon were the ultimate example of that, that that they just looked nasty. <laughs> they just like, like just, just didn't take showers. <laughs> ever. That's legit. And I think that plays into who they were as a dirty drug dealer culture. I, I maintain the work. that everyone fucking... else was that way too. It's like, what the fuck? Well, what the fuck was it? Uh, X post. No. Was it X post facto? Was that the shithead episode with the Ninja Turtles? Uh, I don't actually remember the actual name of that episode. I just remember the shithead episode with the Ninja Turtles that LeVar Burton directed that we got introduced to uh, like Detective Tuvok. There were uh, so a many terrible first. show memes were launched out of that fucking episode. Um, but anyways, recent Voyager, I think, has gone above and beyond in producing some cool ass one off aliens that we get access to. And this episode particularly starts with a uh, textbook example of what I'm going to call wax set cool alien. You got this really cool blue fish guy. He looks great. He looks like he just wandered off the set of Hellboy. Interesting, uh, interesting design of alien with excellent prosthetics. You hold this up against even through the majority of TNG, and you still had guys that were basically just dudes in trash bags with like googly eyes posted on them right this is some legit cinematic special effects work and it is in the most boring basic home basement reproduction <laughs> uh fan set possible right oh yeah stevie wandered by just as this guy showed up in the in the teaser and she's like oh that guy looks cool like Man, they really started to like do well with prosthetics and these aliens. And then just this this set that is a holiday in conference room. <laughs> Not straight, even that man. Beige walls. <laughs> like it looks like an, AF. an elementary school multi-purpose gymnasium that they had just done some children community theater production and, and the set pieces are still they're terrible. But uh they I think this episode does a good job of Again, just exploring what is what is in the universe that is not part of a large galactic empire or some major faction where who are the independent operators, stuff like space pirates and and things like that, minus that goddamn Da Vinci cartoon episode taking flight or whatever that one was. What was that concerning flight? Yeah, concerning flight. Which should have been good, but but wasn't. But. I like these these small scale gray market operators, and and that's what we've got here. We've got a little consortium of smarty pants who are marketing their superior intellects for great profit. And as this blue fish guy shows up, he wanders around this single room set piece that is functioning as the aliens base of operation. Uh, We see the. I don't know. The one guy is like vagina face guy with a bunch of garbage sewn into his jacket. 
there's a jellyfish in a tube. Uh, there's a robot off of Doctor Who, Jason Alexander, who you've mentioned before, which despite being one of the smartest men in the Delta Quadrant is not smart enough to know how to brush his hair and just looks like a hobo. <laughs> or he's too smart to brush his hair. I do want to shout out to the uh, the other kind of bipedal alien that we see, like his fucking makeup, too. I got this like Phenom. You're about the China face guy. The guy who can't talk, right? Yeah. His that the the fucking mask makeup shit that was on him was incredible looking. I yes, and and then there's the last alien, which is like this giant lumbering ethereal space beast that's like in the Phantom Zone. I, I'm not really sure what his deal was, but it's kind of delivering on this expectation that in outer space, not everybody is a humanoid with two arms and two legs and walking around at approximately five and a half to six feet tall and fitting through traditional doorways. Like they really first broach this with species eight, four, two, seven, where they completely drop the ball by going too heavy on in your face CGI. And I think this is a good example of like, you're able to accomplish these effects and have non humanoids that are interesting and engaging and part of the story and, and not, take you out of the moment because they look so awful and low budget so the the guy who shows up to negotiate with the think tank about the the problem that was solved on their home planet by them essentially is trying to get out of paying them in this ore uh, that was promised by saying it was destroyed say hey we take this instead think uh, jason alexander's like uh no homie uh we know you actually have it because again we smart so you should probably uh, give that to us before we undo the uh the, the fix we made so that your planet didn't you know shake weight its way apart into oblivion and he said oh yeah of course uh i will totally uh pay the vig to the uh, space mafia here and so that I'll get my legs broken and uh, exits. And so the setup is transparent from the start. These guys are bad. They are happy to use heavy handed mob tactics to get their way. And they're apparently, as you mentioned, a galaxy smarty pants group. Are they the mob? Is what they're doing unreasonable? Like, cool looking fish dude his earth his his planet was going to be shattered by earthquakes and they went to a consulting agency and said hey can you please fix it and they said sure here's our contract here's a price and then fish guy was like i'm gonna try and fuck these guys and i'm gonna come up when i owe them like tons of unobtainium and i'm gonna be like hey look here's a fucking rock i was using to hold my door open <laughs> You know, Would these you rocks like this rock instead, these these rocks, they don't grow locally. It's a big deal. This rocks there. And then Jason Alexander's like, yeah, it's a big deal for your planet. But like the the that planet across the street, it's it's made of nothing but these rocks. This isn't the deal. And then the guy lies and oh, it was destroyed. Like I see they're trying to like be like, ooh, this is a menacing, cruel think tank. But it's like, no, man, that's that's business it's a contract this dude's trying to back out like oh dude later on they talk about how they'll destroy planets for pay i mean these guys are bad guys i they don't hide that these guys are bad guys come the fuck on dude 
they're not bad. They're, they're business people, man. You know, it's I, yes, their business is termination of life. I mean, Some. they straight out say it. Like, we won't do weapons of mass destruction, but if we're asked to blow up a planet, we'll do it. Like, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's the are we the baddies speech, right? Like, yeah, pretty sure you guys are the bad guys. Pretty sure there's little skulls on your helmets. I think they're just um, they're businessmen with morals. That's 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 my pick on these guys. Anyways, so, you know, we get a little zoom in to, to Jason Alexander squinting. Uh, as we're left to ponder like, oh, God, he was willing to undo the fix they did to, to collapse us, which. I'll still also maintain is not that bad of a bad guy as far as the Delta Quadrant goes. I want to talk a little bit here about Jason Alexander's performance. I can't imagine the. The. The shadow you've painted yourself or, or, or the, you know, the tremendous task and expectation on you to be as different as humanly possible in the next big portrayal you have on TV after having done however many seasons of George Casanza on uh, Seinfeld. So I get what he was going for. I get it was something that had to be radically different than what you've seen before. I don't, I don't know if it, uh, if it worked for me, how'd you feel? I think he did a really good job of doing what he was asked to do, which was kind of be this very soft spoken, very neutral, you know, just, very, you know, uh, slightly smarmy, but still approachable. Like there was clear a cleaner lane they wanted him to be in and he was in it. Uh, it wasn't anything super special. You know, this could have been some fucking guy doing this, right? Didn't have to be Jason Alexander. Um, he, he, you know, I think he got he did the thing that they asked him to do. And so he was fine. That's my hot take. I think it felt a little forced. And the positioning of his hands at all times became distracting. He had like this Vulcan steepled fingers, uh, a distraction throughout it. And I, I don't think it was bad. I think there might have been something better he could have brought to the table. And maybe it was dra- who directed this thing. Some guy that I've never heard of, Terrence O'Hara. I don't know if he did any other Voyager episodes aside from this. No, this was. Uh, yeah, this is it. This is the only uh, episode of Star Trek he ever did. Period. End of story. Well, it's a shame Potsy couldn't have been in here because I'm sure planets full of children would have been destroyed and maybe the crew <laughs> mutilated some more. We would have seen it firsthand. We cut back over to Voyager and we see Catherine Janeway chilling out in her ready room with perhaps the best hair and the best makeup I have ever seen her in. Like, it's rare I'm ever like, wow, she looks really attractive here, but she looked great. And she has the 1999 version of a fidget spinner. Yeah, I agree. She was glowing. I don't know why. She just was. And I love the canon that they build into this, that... Tom Paris is responsible for like hooking the crew on bullshit that he either finds or discovers. Uh, Jane, we mentioned the last craze was yo-yos. So just have this idea of Tom Paris, like going through like the cultural database and like getting into different shit on the holodeck from different time periods in the past. And like the rest of the crew getting into it because they're fucking bored. 
you know, like, guys, I, I found this this dance craze. It's called the Macarena. He was <laughs> all about on, the right? Charleston when his wife was dying. Guys, you're not going to believe this. Put those yo-yos away. I've got the next big thing. They're called slap bracelets, and they're straight pieces of tin until you slap them to your wrist, and they go on. The more interesting thing to me... Guys, guys, the- I found I found something else in the database. It's from 1980s. It's called crack cocaine. <laughs> let's, I found this let's- thing in the, 19, in the 2019 archives. They're called vaporizers. <laughs> Look at I me. think I'm a I look really cool when I'm using it. Look at this. I need a hat, though. Why do I require a hat? <laughs> not a good one, though. A shitty one. One that does not look correct. Um, I think the more interesting thing here is that bad boy convict Tom is the trendsetter for the ship. Uh, yeah. And, and I would have been interested to seeing more of that story. Is he intentionally baiting the rest of the crew into these little crazes and uh, fads to kind of like flex and assert some sort of control, you know, uh, or is he just hedonistically indulging himself and other people are observing, you know, legit interesting things he's doing and kind of co-opting it without him necessarily farming the craze uh, intentionally. I I think I can answer that. The answer is I, I based on what we've seen of Tom. He likes to rope other people into his bullshit. Yes. He loves to do that. So I have no doubt this is a thing of like, hey, Harry, look at this cool thing I found. Or hey, whoever, look at this. Cool, hey, Bolana. And it just like goes from there and everyone starts talking about it because there's only like 140 people on the ship. Like, oh, what's this thing? Oh, yeah, let's all do that. Because Tom is unique on the on the sh- on the ship as far as we've seen, although probably some of the like, key people should be like this, too. But they're not being characters uh, is that he just doesn't give a fuck. Right. He wants to indulge himself. That's that's what he likes to do. He he doesn't care all that much about being an enlightened space person or a Starfleet officer or anything like that. Like that's his job. But when his job's over, he clocks out, right? Ka-chunk, and he hits the fucking holodeck hard. He leaves work at work. He's not like fucking Bolana and uh, and Harry who are going to be up till two o'clock in the morning drinking coffee trying to uh, solve the next space problem. No, no, no. He's like, I'm, I fucking drove the ship for eight hours. It's time to party, right? Like that's that's Tom. So he gets into shit, and then everybody else because they're too nerdy because they're Starfleet officers, so they just live in this mindset of like, oh, I gotta do my fucking fractal equations because there's a space-time butthole. And he's like, hey, yo, dude, here's a yo-yo and some crack cocaine. Well, you smoke the crack and then do the yo-yo. That's what we're gonna do today because that's what they <laughs> did in the 80s, apparently. I don't think you're wrong. I would like to see a couple more episodes or just something sprinkled in, like some tertiary plot arcs of the crew is bored. And they touch on it here and there, but I don't I don't think it's touched enough and uh, stuff like this could have played well into it. They're looking for dilithium, Joe. That's that's the we needed of this episode. And they start flying into a planet that is chock full of dilithium and everybody's pumped. And then, yeah, some free dilithium. Going to hit that coin block a few times. Going to ring up the score. It's going to be good times. And then the whole goddamn planet just blows up. 
and we find out that it's a trap that the aforementioned Hazari, which is a race of uh, Klingon ish warrior people who also speaking in Ninja Turtles. And that's turd with like a, a, a poopy turd, T-U-R-D-L-E-S from the, the shit <laughs> like episode. specifying for anybody that's wandered into this, not from episode three, like just in case, guys. Yeah. Well, you know, if if UPN thought they could use Jason Alexander to attract new viewers uh, late season, then then it's not without uh, our opportunity to have people that may have just wandered in and not know about our all time worsts ex post facto way back in the day. So these guys, these Hazari, they're they're badass, honor bound, technologically advanced hard asses who are bounty hunters. We get brought up to speed on all that by seven to nine. And they're space assamites. Uh, they are. Yeah, they are. They are. They are. Yeah. Hazari, Harzan, Marwan. Yeah, sure, man. Um, <laughs> Deep <cut>. Voyager <laughs> narrowly escapes the booby trap. And they don't get any pursuit by these Harzan. Uh, and as they'll come to find out in Astrometrics, it's because there are a whole gang of them. They're getting pack hunted, similar to the Herogen, who had turned it into a sport. Uh, And they don't know how this could happen. Who Joe and the Delta Quadrant could possibly want to put a bounty out on the USS Voyager? At least it isn't like when Harry Kim's said in Twisted, why would anyone do something bad to us? Uh, In this episode, Chakotay actually does give voice to the idea like, well, we have made our share of enemies. Like we have pissed in a few boxes of Wheaties done on our time from when we tried to steal shit from Jeff Goldblum and the Skivians to you know the Borg a few times erosion <laughs> I guess like they took us over and then we were Nazi they were Nazis and we were French for a while it was terrible I mean like he he does mention like we have some greatest hits of people who want our asses dead so you know. he specifically calls out the Malorn who were introduced in night which is the two-dimensionally evil garbage people and then uh your buddies from counterpoint the devore i believe they were called who were like the super anti um the anti-psychics yes voyager seems like it's been flying for a while so i'm always happy to hear shout outs from old names like the malorn well i I mean it's all from season five though like, that's the thing. It's like both of those references are from this season specifically. Although there is a reference to prior seasons and we'll get to it. But, yeah, big uh, news these, there. these particular two enemies that they've run into are are more recent. Although you know, what bothered me about it was because of their use of the quantum slipstream drive in Timeless. Wouldn't they be like way, way, way outside the space of both of those races by now? They'd be like 10 years away from them. Okay, so you're jumping ahead to when the think tank actually says, here's what we want in exchange for your help, right? No, what I'm saying is like, why would they think that the the specific enemies that are after them would be the Malorn? Because they should be like so far away from Malorn space right now. Like, you know, like, really? oh, yeah, so the the quantum slipstream was timeless or was that dark frontier 
It was timeless. Dark Frontier, they used to transport drive and they got even further. So, so like, that's what I'm saying, two. though, like because I yeah. peeked at the, the Netflix roster and there is a. Malorn episode coming up after this, so like it is that that's why I'm saying, like, how big is Malorn space? How big is Malorn reach that despite an entire season of traveling at this point with a couple big shortcuts in there that they're still within the grasp of this fucking garbage scow race it's it's some real interesting geography going on in the delta quadrant for season five um the crew's perplexed though like these malorn guys seem like pretty serious business uh and there is this chess game unfolding of how are we going to get out here like finally there's someone who gives enough of a shit about us that they're putting real resources into capturing voyager which has been like the running gag since season one is Voyager will show up long enough to stick its stick in someone's mashed potatoes to varying degrees of uh, severity. Some of the biggest ones, of course, being the Vidians, who uh, the Klingon DNA in Balana is the key to stopping the fucking phage, which has ravaged their culture for hundreds of years. The Borg, who want the technology to, dist- to assimilate Species 8472. You know, they've got some big priority bullseyes on their back. And so far, it's only really been the Herogen that have gone out of their way to say, like, no, we're not going to let bygones be bygones. We're going to hunt you down. Um, and and they're like, who would have who, who wants to go after us and who is putting this much resource into getting us? And these guys are doing a legit job. Every route they think they have to escape is blocked somehow. And the ones that seem open uh, are theorized to be traps and it seems like the first time that voyages really had to contemplate its next step without being super fucked up and limping along on the verge of blowing up in the process it just so happens that while janeway sits in the uh mess hall contemplating their current situation by the way like neelix shows up for his one fucking scene right before this to like pour her some coffee and I remembered upon seeing him that he was part of the show because he's barely been part of this whole fucking season. Have you noticed he had, he was had to co-lead with a child actor in his like one starring role this season. Right. Once upon a time where it's like him trying not to tell Naomi Wildman her mom might be dead. That's it. That's all this. It's all this filthy space cats got to do this entire season. It's a shame. Neelix started off as a terrible character that was a blight uh, at worst on scenes and at best kind of this running gag of someone who's actively sabotaging Voyager's progress. But, you know, ever since Partuitions, he's had some super solid entries. And I think there's some really good stories that Neelix should be a part of. I still maintain he should have been uh, on Gravity instead of Tom Paris. And you are completely right that this entire season, again, this is a long season, episode 20, and he they have not given him anything to do. And uh, it's a shame. And it's something I hope that we see changed by the end of this episode and hopefully different in season six and seven. Uh, the scene you're talking about, though, and, and I, I want to roll things back real quick to how the ship actually escaped the Herogen or the Hazan trap. 
they blow up the dilithium planet. The ship flies out. Voyagers shields are down. Some other stuff's fucked up. And Janeway hails them and is like, hey, listen, leave us alone. They're like, you're all fucked up and we're going to get you and don't fight us. And also, if you shoot that gun, you're going to blow up. And she's like, but you're going to blow up, too. And they're like, yeah, well, you're not. Stupid you don't know enough. you're messing with the trap queen who likes to try and blow up her own ship like like miscalculated. <laughs> Cut to the mystery machine, and there's Fred Jones making a face because that's my fetish. <laughs> Janeway's like <laughs> mass suicide. Like Janeway originally petitioned to have the Voyager renamed the Heaven's Gate <laughs> because she just wants everybody to die on that ship, and any chance she has to endanger everyone's life, she's taking it. She's like, yeah, fuck it. Target the uh, target the planets itself. So when we shoot the gun, everybody blows up for sure. And Tom throws this line out there like, well, it was just a bluff, right? And it's like, Tom, do you not know you're working for someone who is very clearly has a self-annihilation complex and wants to see the rest of the ship go down with her? Like, come on. But the scene with uh, Neelix you're talking about, she's sitting there with her big laptop. There's like magically leather couches in the mess hall now, apparently. And she's just really stressing out, drinking all the coffee. And Neelix is like, well, do you want to use me as a sounding board? And... uh She's like, or I, I forget what the exchange is, but basically like, you know, I know this is outside your wheelhouse to hear about crew problems, but it's like, that's, that's all Neelix does. And we talked about it back in Threshold. He's like this epiphany advocate who that's Neelix's like true function on the ship is to sit there listen to whatever your problem is, throw out some kooky stories about when he was a kid working, you know, on the Kessel run or whatever. And, and then you have your like, aha moment. This is how we're going to fix it. But He's not feeling it this time. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. This is your problem. I'm out of here. We believe in you, Cap. And when he dips out, Janeway gets visited by the ghost of Jerry Seinfeld's future. (laughs) Yes. Suddenly arriving from nowhere is uh, one space. Jason Alexander uh, showing up as, you know, a hologram, but cooler. You know, uh, he he says it's an isomorphic projection, which sounds like it's just a fucking hologram to me. You might remember me from such episodes as I'm crazy and neurotic and I want to kill Belana Torres. Yeah, that's what they call isomorphs in that episode. You're right. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't know why they decide to call it that when we've established that's what a hologram fucking is. Uh, But, you know, you know, he he turns off communication, gives him all this advice about how to deal with these guys and says, hey, you know, problem solvers if you want us to give you a hand solving the problem you can kind of come to us and we can talk over uh what we can do for you and what you can pay us and it's it's just the most obvious setup right like who the fuck is fooled watching this episode to think oh yeah these guys totally aren't the ones who sick the bounty hunters on them right like and that's 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 the the real shame of this episode is yeah, it is you, like it. it's just there's no mystery to it. And so you're just like, oh, yeah, these guys we saw in the teaser that are bad guys are clearly the fucking bad guys here. The series of events that unfolds here. It is exactly it's so elementary, right? Hey, we're after rare and unique things, and we'll give you a rundown here in a minute of all the big accomplishments we've had. And sometimes, you know, we're asking for. 
uh, you know, all the rice in China. And sometimes we just want, you know, a, a cube of bouillon soup. It's it's we're only after rare and unique things. And January, why don't you come over and discuss it with us? And while you're at it, why don't you bring your ex Borg, perhaps the only one in the entire fucking galaxy, who is also coincidentally the smartest person in the world, smartest human in the world. And just all these rare and unique things wound into one cat suit skin tight package and <laughs> bring it over you have all of the knowledge of the borg in your brain you Which, also bring that cat suit <laughs> uh, again it's fucking ridiculous to me that in her brain in a implant that's a two by two cube she has the entire collected history of the borg like maybe the borg really just have uh they assimilated someone with like baller ass next level storage configure like just crazy good hard drive game but it's just it seems ridiculous to me that thousands of cubes and billions of borg town structures and on all that data just contained in whatever whatever but even sillier is the fact that janeway decides to go meet on these guys ship and not bring chakotay and not bring tuvok who's usually her like trusted confidant problem solver guy she brings seven to nine and they agree to let him interface and and she talks to the doctor who robot while that's going on jason alexander kind of does this rundown of the accomplishments that they've done and all these lives they've saved you know for something as simple as soup because the writers love soup and we have to give soup a shout out that's and true. then the most there there's two shout outs to soup in this episode, by the way, which is one of the things that yeah, it's one of the things they asked for is a recipe for Neelix's, you know, like linola root soup or whatever. Here's where the most important part of the episode comes down, Joe, and you know what I'm talking about. This think tank tells Janeway that they cured the Vidian phage before you say anything. I just want to point out that I so expected this to be a trigger point for you that we discussed in advance of like, and don't worry, Peter, when we get to the part where they just dropped the phage got cured, like casually to establish credibility for this throwaway episode, I'm going to let you go at it. So here we are. We're here. I'm here for you. Go on. Why is this not the entire fucking episode? Right. The Vidians are your best effort that Voyager has ever put forward at a persistent villain, arguably the best implementation of it. So good, in fact, that they basically steal the whole fucking concept for insurrection or, or whichever way they went. Like this is this is groundbreaking big deal shit. OK, and this establishes. So much craziness, so much craziness just just came on the table, right? These guys. You're too good to, to beg Q to get you home, right? I understand it, Jamie. But now you've got these fucking guys and they're like, hey, listen, you got a problem, right? You got these bounty hunters coming after you and they're going to fuck you up and you can basically sell your soul to the devil, right? Because that's that's what this is. It's like a crossroad episode. You know, are you willing to to barter with hell to to get your wildest fantasies to come true? Like, okay. How about instead of worrying about getting away from these bounty hunters, you say, well, what's the real limit of what you can do here? And when he, they tell them that 
we cured the fucking phage for the Vidians all the way back from when's the last time we see the the Vidians? It's like resolutions or something, I think. Yeah, season two, season three era. I'm I'm gonna look this up because this is this is what a big fucking deal this is, right? Resolutions was episode two, number twenty-five. Okay, so Kess leaves Voyager in Being of season four. Yeah. Season four. Kess knocked them forward ten years of travel time. And these guys had access to the Vidians recently. So these dudes have some real well, they, and they and they they went ten years ahead. So these guys had to be able to traverse Borg space because Kess knocked them through Borg space. Then they got further using the quantum slipstream drive. Then they got further using the transwarp conduit. So you're talking about a, an ability to travel that's on on par with the uh, space dinosaurs. You know, it's just being able to go the fuck they want. And so there's that. And then as you were getting at, the Vidians are legitimately the most evil shit we have seen on this show. Like way worse than the Borg. Like the Vidians were fucking awful. They're uh, monsters. They were just uh, terrible. Oh yeah, we cured them. We just we just fucking did that shit. They were bad because of it. Like they, that's the interesting thing. Like bring them back. It says you would you would you wouldn't even re- recognize them anymore. Like they used to be this beautiful, wonderful, artistic race. Like Doctor Pell, I think her name was, really painted a picture and brought out the sympathy card for what were kind of just like scary horror movie monsters to like this really tragic species, right? As as whatever you want to say about this episode is middle of the road, kind of uh, easy to anticipate and, and and easy to figure out as this episode was like, had you given me like a real taste of what's life like in the Vidian worlds now? Like that would have been awesome. Um, so, yeah, the news that they cured the phage huge. The, the news that they had access to reach the fucking Vidians in the first place, like you're gambling over peanuts you have in front of you right now the opportunity to probably just get home tomorrow fuck getting away from these bounty hunters that one of the other accomplishments this think tank says is that they outsmarted the borg and diverted an entire species from being assimilated by the borg like if the think tank can handle borg uh aggression if the think tank can go super fast 10 years the other direction these guys can get you home so when they put their demands out and and we'll jump forward a little bit here and super predictably one of those demands is seven of nine join their ranks you know janeway has this little like oh god you know i could save the ship from the monster of the week but it's gonna cost me this crewman that's not the stakes it's i can get the fucking crew home tomorrow and all I have to do is sign off on this very smart people joining a think tank with other very smart people and and fix the problem that I've been beating myself up with the majority of season five, which is I did, in fact, get everybody stuck because uh, I'm stupid and blew up the caretaker. Right? Like the stakes in this episode are epic. Yet they are not treated that way in any way. And that's the fucking problem is they put all this shit on the table casually in the way that you're like, oh, we need to set up that these guys are 
good at what they're doing. So uh, they cured the phage, right? We're never going to fucking use the Vidians again, right? So uh, shamefully, yeah, the, yeah, they're they're cured. So that's how you know these guys are good. That's the writer's logic. That's as deep and as far as I think it went because that is as with that is all the respect that they treat it with, right? Because they don't they don't get what they've done in the context that we do because they're not like us. They're just trying to set this up again for the lowest common denominator fan, specifically an episode like this in particular. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a cheeky, fun throwaway line like, oh, yeah, I remember the Vidians like you have just made the scale of of consequence here. Fucking epic. Uh, and, and I want to talk about the Vidians a little bit more because it was like the one good thing out of Picard. How tragic is it that here the Vidians have finally been cured of the phage? Only for them to inevitably be assimilated by the Borg within the next two decades. Is what? What do you mean? Like, is there evidence that they were assimilated by the Borg? And Picard? Oh no, fuck! It's the Skeevians. That's right. My bad. Yeah, yeah, Brain yeah. It's hard. the Skeevians got got assimilated. Well, you know what? If Some you're going to get the Skeevians, why not get the Vidians too? While you're in there, the Borg don't care. Borg don't say no. Maybe maybe that's a second deal. The the Vidians struck is to keep the Borg off their ass too. I mean, they might not have gotten all the Skeevians. They, you know, they just like got some of them when they were on like some isolated planet somewhere. <laughs> got got their cool Skeevian portals that Voyager couldn't steal correctly. Yeah, I, that's that's such a shame for Voyager though. It's like these villains they try to launch don't really find the right footing abandon and it's like the older they get in the series history the more interesting they get and the bigger shame it is that we don't get access back to them anyways so uh, i'm looking at the clock right now and i see that we're at 51 minutes and i you normally this would be like oh shit we need to like get going because we're barely in like act two of this of this episode but i realized there's almost nothing else to talk about yeah i know <laughs> the plot is so predictable from this point forward like the most interesting thing to talk about here is jason alexander's on the episode and is fine and holy shit the vidians apparently got cured by these guys what the fuck what the hell oh man don't don't you remember when this show had good antagonists i do and then after that, it's very paint by numbers. There's a silly part in there where they find out that dun dun dun, the uh, Malorn who have in the Malorn are the the garbage scow people who have contracted the Hazari to bounty hunt Voyager was in fact Jason Alexander disguising himself as a hologram because they wanted to just bring in seven of nine and they were going to create an artificial problem that they could only be the the cure for so they could recruit her um these hazari guys like this is the big fail minus all that other stuff i pointed out earlier i was like they're supposed to be honor bound and all this other stuff like you can't bribe them you can't offer them more money than the previous guy was like if they accept a contract they're gonna go they're gonna go hard on it but as i said space asimites janeway's like the guy who hired you was wearing a disguise and they're like, Oh fuck. Well, you know what? Whatever. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's have a montage scene where I'm in the boardroom with you guys and, and we've got our own little think tank and we're going to figure out how to outsmart the smarty pants. It was such a botch to me that you build these guys up to be stone face honor bound killers 
who just and immediately on the drop of a hat that they've been deceived. They're like, yeah, well, fuck those guys. We'll kill them instead. We hate being tricked. Fuck that. I mean, they we say yeah. about it, except if you be tricky. In yeah. that case, fuck you. <laughs> you lie to me and I'll burn your fucking house down. Uh, they the the Hazari guy, once he warms up to them, is like, yeah, I know who these dudes are. I know them by reputation. And there's a lot of people who don't like these guys because they probably didn't respect the contract they got into them with. And, you know, these dudes fucked them. So, again, I'm not blaming the think tank. I'm on I'm on the think tank side. You 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 renege on a contract. You get what you get. But the Hazari decide to play ball and they lay a honey trap, a honey pot trap. And oh, the big thing is seven of nine. You know, like she she solves the fidget spinner. <laughs> to like lay down the we have to cheat to win and that dude that somehow the aha the moments in voyager it's just it needs to stop i'm so tired in 90s television like we're gonna do something completely unrelated to what the main problem is and then we're gonna have our epiphany moment where we relate you know underwater basket weaving to how we're gonna stop the sun from exploding oh my god it's so simple we just do it underwater or whatever cockamamie thing they, they have. Like this episode specifically with the fidget cubes seems much worse than, than other times we have that unrelated epiphany. Like it's shoehorned in there so bad. Again, you said it feels a little paint by numbers. It's another of the hubris of man. And here's the women who are smarter and there's Janeway throwing her little quippy. Ha ha. You know, you might want to think your way out of this one, whatever. Uh, seven of nine basically uploads a virus into the ship. And the big weakness of this think tank is that they're all so radically different. None of them are able to cross communicate. So once they destroy this fucking telepathic disco ball built into the floor, nobody can talk to each other anymore. Uh, and then when the Hazan, Hazari, whatever, start attacking them, they are really in a bad place and Voyager is able to just slip off. So you don't know what happens. Does the think tank survive? Does the Hazari get their bounty prize? We don't know. I will. I, what I, what I was getting at was seven of nine's intelligence is at least the plot point here. Yeah. Like you were mentioning before when you're going on the, it's so ridiculous that she is the repository of all of the Borg's, you know, knowledge or whatever. And at least that is specifically the reason why they want her. Right. Yes. yes. So like I, I can respect that. All right. So if they're going to set the honeypot trap, at least they're using seven of nine effectively to say, okay, well, if we're, if this is going to be a thing, then let's do this. So that I, I've, I've kind of grasping at, at something to say positively about, you know, the, the setup of the plot of this episode is just, not particularly interesting because it's not again it's not respecting the intelligence of the viewer if you had just said it is the malorn who's trying to get these fucking you know who put bounty hunters on voyager it didn't have to be this silly double trap where the think tank engineered a situation where voyager predictably would have fallen in its grasp like there was nothing wrong with there being a third party that wants voyager held accountable for its actions and you've got this skier Peter, dude, they have to, they have to be so tricky and be you know setting up all the pieces on the board because they're so smart. And the fact that they just cured the phage isn't good enough. 
somehow. Had this episode just been like the Skeevians or whoever did contract the Hazar, the, the Devore, right? Did con because when the higher ups in the Devore actually did find out that uh, they let a ship full of telepaths escape, like people were pissed about that and and put bounty hunters out there. And then the think tank being opportunists are like, oh, these guys are in trouble. We can like squeeze them and, and profiteer on this. And same way, like kind of like that Q, uh, that Q dynamic, like I'm here and I can help you. But Janeway's too proud to take the help. And in the end, they're like, hey, we did it ourselves. We didn't need a, a magic cheat code to do it after all. Fuck you. And then the think tank's like, well, OK, well, fuck you, too. Like I you could have played it straight and it could have still it could have been a better episode. I don't think this was bad. I enjoyed it. It had some cool alien stuff going on. It had some neat private organization interaction with Voyager. You had a lot of good callbacks to other stuff going on in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, You had some real botches where they put opportunities on the table that completely went unnoticed uh, with ridiculous scale. Um, I think the think tank if they survive the Hazari uh, ambush would be a really good ongoing villain for Voyager to have to deal with. But I'm going to go ahead and predict we never hear from these guys again because Jason Alexander is expensive. <laughs> I would assume so. I, I I think he did Star Trek, though. I, I couldn't Pro see bono. anything. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see anything in the memory alpha for this episode specifically that suggest why he did this i i assume it has to be that he's a truck fan i'm sure that's somewhere right i'm sure on the internet somewhere that information is found because i don't know how they'd afforded him the first fucking time right like i don't uh, what the hell it has to have been done like you said pro bono i want to jump back to the quantum slipstream that you mentioned before like i, I don't th- voyager never actually no you're right they do they, they do go into the slipstream and timeless and it's the fact that they abandon. So they get a little bit ahead of it, but it's not a prolonged burst. So like, I think they, what they shave a couple months off the trip effectively. No, it was years. It was years off the trip hmm. from that short time. And that really is an impressive amount of distance that these fucking guys were able to cover. That's Kess's 10 year push. That's Borg boom to trans warp. And that's the slipstream. Like that is that's crazy. Janeway is a fool. Janeway's a fool. End of story. Um, yeah, it's the writers. I just like it goes all the way back to the first goddamn episode we did. You know, they just these writers just don't know what the fuck they're doing. And they make people turn out look like fools because they don't understand what they're putting on the goddamn table. Yeah. And that's just that's what happened here. I mean, did you like the episode? It was fine. Like. After having to watch the fight last week, please like, don't. Eh, this is <laughs> just, eh, I'm just like, it's shrug my shoulders. Like it was, it was over. I mean, it was just kind of like a C, just a flat gentleman C. Uh, it will, it will pass. It, the only thing that sticks down in my memory is the Vidian line and the fact that Jason Alexander's in it. Those are the two things I remembered from the last time I watched it. You didn't think like, the aliens look cool though? I mean, like that's the it's... the first one did the the first alien we saw does look cool and that was I like cool the biggest serial cthulhu monster in the in the phantom zone i thought that guy was really cool too cool idea but they don't show you and that's the strength of it is instead of trying to get like up close and personal and show you how bad the cg is it's just the shadowy thing in the background that's 
an idea and a concept and that's uh and that's cool um i i liked it 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 was good it wasn't great but uh God, it was your standards have gone down so fucking i'm far. a beaten dog man i you are <laughs> i take the safe harbors where i can find them i am i'm ashamed to know you and speaking of that what are we watching next week uh coming up next we're gonna be moving into season five episode 21 juggernaut and the malorn who we have just discussed very heavily and that's our local blue collar sludge slinging captain, captain planet, planet villain. villains yep. do not need to be <laughs> captain planet villains and are only done so because of lazy 90s eco writing after answering a Malorn freighter's distress call, Torres, Neelix, Chakotay, and their surviving Malorn have six hours to stop a Theta radiation fallout. I see Neelix. I see Torres. We never really pair Torres and Neelix. I see Neelix and Chakotay, who there's some catty nonsense that goes on there that I enjoy. Uh, Malorn, who I think could be interesting if the writers gave him any respect. Like, I'm looking forward to this episode, Joe. What do you remember? Uh, I th- I remember this has to do with Torres a lot and uh, some more like Malorn being Captain Planet villains. I forget like how much this might be the, the Neelix episode we've been looking for. I don't remember how much he factors into it. I know I know this is a Balana episode for sure. So Balana's due for an episode, too. I don't think we've really done anything with her. No, since no, 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 no. We've done a couple with her this season, sir. Let's. Let's back that up. Like we've we've had uh, extreme risk, you know, when she's had her secret Cardassian racist murder cave, obviously. Classic. Cla- classic. Uh, you know, she's she's and she died in. on the table in, in Tom's silver blood uh, alternate reality. I, she really yeah, hasn't had... seen that they've oh, ever had in the together flesh. as a couple. No, not in the flesh. Uh, nothing Forcibly. human. Which yeah, and then nothing human when she had the the uh, the, the alien attached to her face after her dog died IRL, so that wasn't great. I don't know. I'm looking forward to this one. Hopefully, they can pull the Morn out of the trash and do something uh, reasonable with it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much to everybody within this.